right, good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Everybody awake? It's early Sunday morning. Awesome. Well, as you can tell, I'm not Pastor Blake. I'm Pastor Stephen. Blake and Sean are in Lubbock helping Brookie out with some things. Um, and so they were traveling yesterday. And so I get the, the privilege of um, bringing God's Word to you uh, this morning. And it is a privilege. And this is the second week of our new series um, about transparency. So I'm just going to start off by being extremely transparent here. Um, we're coming off of an incredible conference this past weekend, and like I loved it. It was awesome. Um, we had a great Connect conference, and just total transparency, I'm exhausted. Like I'm still extremely tired. I'm still kind of emotionally raw from being with my brothers and sisters and being excited about the things that they're doing. Um, so giving me a transparency sermon this morning, probably like being the most emotional pastor on the face of the planet is probably, <laughs> probably going to backfire. But, um, so just letting y'all know beforehand, I've tried my best not to get emotional with this, but I am going to share a few stories that I haven't shared before. And, and when we talk about transparency, um, for a pastor, it is a hard topic to really dive into because in seminary and in our, our time in uh, ministry, it is something that's not necessarily taught to us being transparent. It's actually something that is told, you know, guard yourself, sheep bite, you know, don't, don't reveal too much of yourself. And like the more that that gets ingrained um, in somebody that's in ministry, the more that I actually feel like that hinders ministry. Um, and it's a hard thing. So, so what I'm telling you guys this morning is for me to be transparent is something that is taking years of allowing God to chip away um, some walls. Um, and so part of this sermon is chipping away some of that wall um, that still exists. So on the front, and I'm going to apologize if I get a little emotional. I know I typically do that anyway. I'm serious. I'm trying my best not to get too um, overly emotional with this. But this, is a, this text that we're in as well is an emotional text. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew uh, 26. We're going to be in verse 36, uh, starting in verse 36. And so what we see here is Jesus, after the Passover, after he's revealed to his disciples... Um, what is to come, and that he's going to be betrayed, he goes to the garden, and you see the most sorrowful night in Jesus' life. And so what I want to do is we're going to read this text together, but as we read this text together, what I want you to think about is, as you read it, what are you, what are you feeling that's happening? What is the, the anguish that Jesus is actually in? And we're going to talk about those things a little bit. We're going to dive into to why transparency um, is important. So again, as we read this, what's the significance of this even being in Scripture? You know, the majority of the stories of Jesus in the Gospels is this uplifting uh, stories of, of Jesus um, letting people know who God really is, or that he's filled with compassion, and, and like he addresses the woman at the well. Or even when he sees things that are frustrating, he flips these tables over in this righteous anger, but it's out of compassion for his people. But in this text, we see something very different. We see a sorrowful Jesus. 
So in verse 36, it says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went and he prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. And then he came to the disciples and he said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So what I want to talk about is the mindset that Jesus might be in. In in this moment of sorrow, in this moment of despair, I want to to really discuss what it is Jesus is really feeling. And I really think it could be um, two things. It could be these things all in together. The first thing is we talk about the crucifixion. It is something uh, that, that is a gruesome thing that he knew as he's going to be handed over to the betrayer that he was going to face a lot of pain, torture, ridicule. He's going to be made fun of. He's going to be pointed at. He's going to be poked, whipped, beaten, hung on the cross, and that he's going, it is going to lead to his physical death. That could be the anguish and sorrow he's going through. I wouldn't want to feel that. I don't want to scrape my knee, let alone have nails pierced into my hands. The other thing, you know, Jesus knows that this isn't going to be an ordinary death, but even deeper than that, he would suffer and die unlike anybody else. But he's also facing the turmoil of being separated from his father. to starting to feel and understand what he's about to face through this judgment that is coming his way. And it's not his. It's ours. And he's about to face it. So as I was preparing this, I, I was reading a couple commentaries, and I found um, a statement by N.T. Wright, and he was in this commentary, he was trying to grapple with the severity of the sorrow that Jesus is feeling at this time. And so he writes this. It says, He had looked into the darkness and seen the grinning faces of the demons in this world looking back at him. And he begged and he begged his father not to bring him to the point of having to go through with it. That as he falls on his knees, face down, praying, saying, Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. That not only does he understand what is about to happen to him physically, but he's sorrowful because of what's about to happen to him emotionally and spiritually. See, he's looking into the sorrows that we carry, the burdens 
the sin, the weakness that we have, and he was looking into every bit of it, knowing that's what he was about to face. And he said, Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. So again, he's wrestling with this. And so there's something that stands out to me as we, we just read this text and we're going to tear apart a few different verses here. Um, the thing that I, I, I started to love about this text as I was reading it more and more this week, and as I started thinking about that quote from N.T. Wright, is that Jesus understands more than anybody what it means to suffer. We all have dark periods in our life. We've all suffered. We've all succumbed to weakness and to sin. We've all dealt with those things. Whether we've dealt with them in a healthy manner or not, we struggle with those things. And that we serve a God that sees every bit of it. And not only did he see every bit of it, he carried it for us. So I, a reoccurring theme of what you're going to hear me say is what you, you, you need to, to, to really grasp before we leave this place today is that Jesus fully understands sorrow and he bore the weight of our sorrow for us. He knows what it means to suffer. And because of him, we never have to suffer alone. In John 1.16, it says, From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. That's what his suffering meant, is that through our life with him, if we know who Jesus Christ is, that grace upon grace is showered over us. No matter what sorrow, no matter what weakness, no matter what challenge, no matter what sin issue, no matter what difficulty we have, through our faith in knowing who Jesus Christ is, we are showered with grace upon grace. See, we never have to be sorrowful alone, ever. And I know what sorrow does. And I know what the enemy does with our sorrow. He tries to convince us that we're the only ones struggling. We're the only ones carrying this weight. We're the only ones that could feel this way. And I can't let anybody else know that I'm sorrowful. I can't let anybody else know that I'm struggling. I can't let anybody else know this because, number one, they won't understand. Number two, they'll judge me. And if Satan gets that, that upper hand on us and he separates us, and makes us think that we have to suffer alone. He's going to keep feeding us those lies. He's going to keep feeding it to us and feeding it to us until we can't feel like we can go to God, until we can't feel like we can go to others. But again, we know who Christ is. And when he fell on his knees in the garden, he was understanding the fullness of the sorrow and despair that his people have faced and were going to face. And he was about to bear all of that for us. So regardless of why you think Jesus was sorrowful, whether it was because he was about to face significant pain, or whether you think it was about, he was about to face that separation from the Father, whether you think it was both, whatever it is, regardless of that, this is the darkest night of Jesus' life. And the comfort that we can get from reading that text is he knows what it means to suffer. So now I'm about to head into a few different stories. Some of you have heard some of these, some of you haven't. But I just wanted to, to share, I want to be transparent um, with, 
some of the, the darkest moments in my life. So to prepare for that, I'm going to get a drink of water and try to hold back tears. I'm going to try my best. Um, some of you guys might know my testimony in my grandparents adopting me, and I've already started. I just said grandparents, and it's already starting to come out. Um, some of you know that story. What I haven't revealed a whole lot is the challenges and the struggles and what I had to deal with uh, with my, my parents, with my mom and my dad. One of the things as a kid that I really struggled with with my dad because it was my dad's parents that adopted me, that took me in. So I got to spend a little bit more time with him. I got to know him a little bit more intimately. My dad struggles, um, still struggles with drugs and alcohol. It's something he's struggled with since he was a kid. Um, and, And through that, it has dictated the path of the rest of his life. And as a kid, realizing that as a little kid, you, my boys, they look at me and they're like, they're still in that phase right now where it's like, I'm the strongest man in the world and I can beat anybody up and I can jump over trees and buildings like I'm Superman. And like, I feel like I have probably like six more months of that before they start to realize dad's just kind of a slob that watches TV a lot. But, um, and so I have a, a few more moments with that with them. But as a kid, I wanted to have that view of my dad, right? I, like I desperately wanted that. One of my favorite things to do with my dad when he was around is we would watch uh, National Geographic and we would watch like animal shows and he would do the funniest things like he would um, he would like give the animals voices like they were talking to me and I think that was hilarious but then there's the other side to that at the same age that I knew my dad was struggling and with that struggle it would lead to worry like, I'm the biggest worrier on the face of the planet. Like, it's something that I've tried my best all the time, like, just to give to the Lord. Um, and so much of that has entered in from being a kid who had to worry a lot. Part of that worries come from, I remember going on a trip when I was, like, 10 years old, and my uncle and my dad were taking me to Florida, which is weird. I think back, I need to ask my grandparents, it's like, why would you put me in a car with, like, my uncle and my dad and say, hey, why don't y'all go to Florida? It sounds like a great idea. Um, and so as we're going, we're having to stop at different hotels. And my grandfather is the biggest planner of all time. So before internet, before all that. So he has scheduled every hotel that we're going to stay at. And he booked us at Red Roof Inn. And I don't know if any of you have ever stayed at a Red Roof Inn. Typically, they're not the nicest places, not the nicest establishments. Um, and so everyone we get into, and it was like, it was just gross. Um, and like, I, I just remember going into one room, like the beds weren't made. And I was like, this is really where we're staying. Um, and sure enough, that's where we stayed. It was like this road trip. It should have been a movie. Um, and, uh, but I remember going to bed at night. And because my dad had issues with drugs and alcohol, I would hide the car keys because my concern would be that he would take the car keys and that he would leave and he would go buy alcohol, and he'd get drunk, and we would never see the car again. He would get into an accident. And so I was young. I was like 10 years old. And I would stay up all night to the extent where I would sneak out of the hotel room, and I would go check the mileage on the car in case he figured out how to, to hot, like, hotwire the car. So I knew that he had left. And so I carried that weight as a kid. And so we carry 
We carry these weights, and we carry that sorrow. And as a kid, I didn't know how to deal with it, so I kept it to myself. I didn't know who Jesus was at the time, so I didn't know he bore that weight. So I tell you guys that story, like, don't feel sorry for me. It's part of what has made me who I am. And then through coming to know who Jesus Christ is, I've been able to give that sorrow to Jesus because I knew he's the one that carried it in that garden. He's the one that carried it on that cross. There's grace upon grace that comes with every sorrowful story. But here's the deal. What I want to tell you guys, if any of you right now, you're sitting in this room, you're watching from home, and you struggle with drugs and alcohol, there's a man named Jesus. And he loves you more than you think that drugs and alcohol love you. More than you think that you need those, you need him more. And so we have a ministry called Regeneration. And if you need that, I pray that that's something that you, you sign up for and you go and, and, and talk with Chris and talk to Lynn about. To allow God to shower grace upon grace over you. One of the next darkest times in my life was um, when uh, I just had kids, which is kind of a weird thing, but I had twins and it was really scary. And like I said, I developed this habit of being a worrier at a very young age. So we're pregnant, we're going to have a baby, and that scared me to death anyway. Then randomly, halfway through the pregnancy, we find out we have twins. Y'all know the story. We're going to have twins. We know the story. They tell us they're They're probably not going to make it. So I worry. The difference in this sorrow is I know exactly who my Savior is. And I know who's carried that weight and that burden before me. So I deal with it appropriately and healthy. You know, Blake shared a story last week of when he was extremely exhausted, when he was extremely tired. Um, one time that he went to one of the side classrooms and took a nap. Just to let you all know, our pastor's an amateur at napping. If you really want to nap in this church, right behind this baptistry is the best place <laughs> in the world. Like, grab a coat, it's your pillow. This is the darkest room in the world. You can nap really good during your lunch hour. And I took many, many naps right after my boys were born because we didn't sleep at all. Like, I remember being in the hospital and... Um, not sleeping for a few days. It's like, I just got to get home. And then we get home and I still don't sleep. And at the same time, we were launching this new ministry called Connect Groups. And I was struggling with getting a ministry off the ground, continuing to run student ministry and trying to learn how to be a parent. And I was failing at all of it. And I was sorrowful. And it was one of the darkest periods of my life. And I just felt desperate. And naps behind the baptistry and, and buying movie tickets so I could go take a nap in the movie theater wasn't cutting it. But the thing that stood true is Jesus was sorrowful, and he was sorrowful for me. So it goes on. There's, there's two different responses uh, to transparency. When we look at this text, no matter what sorrow we've been through, and again, I, I don't tell you those stories just so I can cry on stage. Like, I really don't enjoy that. Um, 
but I tell you because I know you've been sorrowful as well. That we know who carried that weight before us. But during this text, there's two different things. There's two different responses to transparency. The first one we see in verse 36, it says, And then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. So here's the deal. The thing that stands out to me is he brings these three disciples with him that he has a very special relationship with, that he knows he can be extremely intimate with, with the things that he's dealing with. And he brings uh, James and John, and he brings Peter, and he says, guys, I'm so sorrowful. This is how sorrowful I am. I feel like I could die in this moment. I'm carrying this weight, so please come with me and stand watch with me. The importance of transparency is, is so clear in this text, and the importance of it meaning is that if we're transparent, we never, ever have to be sorrowful alone. So having people around you that you love and that you care for, that you can share these intimate details of your life and the sorrow um, that, that, that you have, you can share with them, or the sin that you're dealing with, or the struggles that you might have. It's important to have other believers in your life that you can be surrounded by, that you can be 100% totally authentic with. An example of that in my life is our pastor, Blake. I never thought eight years ago when I came to this church that, that Blake would end up being one of my very best friends. It's a weird dynamic that my boss, honestly, I can tell absolutely everything to. But he set up a culture in a place where I could share my ministry struggles with. And so in that period of time, when I had the boys, when Natalie had the boys and I got to not sleep, um, and things were not going well in my ministry, I was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know if I can do ministry anymore. And he listened to me. He listened. And he prayed with me. He goes, Stephen, let's just talk through this. And he gave me this, this out to, he goes, just go away for a few days. We'll take care of things here. Go away and just seek the Lord. And those few days changed my life, and my sorrow turned into joy because I realized that my God just wanted me with him. That the success of me being a dad and the success uh, of my ministry wasn't dependent on me anyway. That he had it. Changed my life changed my ministry, but the importance of having somebody that you can be transparent with means everything. That you can just expose everything that you're dealing with, every struggle. And the joy of transparency is understanding that we get grace upon grace from the Savior that loves us more than anything, but he also gave us our brothers and sisters in Christ that we can share everything that we struggle with. And we can be transparent. And if we're able to be transparent, we never have to be sorrowful alone. Being sorrowful alone leads to some very bad places in your life. So the next thing that I want to look at is in verse 39. It says, And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prays, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Being transparent with God is one of the most important things you can have in your spiritual life with him. 
So here's the deal, and this is a very elementary thing. I feel like I would say this to my youth students back when I was in student ministry. Why are we afraid to go to God? Blake talked about this a little bit last week. Like you see Adam and Eve, and their response to sin was that they understood that they were naked and that they had to hide from God. That shame and guilt entered in, and that shame and guilt stops us from being transparent with a Savior that loves us more than anything. And Jesus set this example in the garden that he was transparent with his disciples, with his friends, those that he was closest to. He said, this is where my sorrow is, that I feel so much pain that I feel like I could die in this moment. And he never had to be sorrowful alone. And then he goes to the Father. And he says, he falls down on his face, he prays, falls down on his face, and he prayed, My father, if it possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but your will. He was transparent with God. He understood that God's will was the most important thing, but he was authentic with his father. In order for us to fully experience what it means to never have to be sorrowful alone, we have to understand that we have a father that went to such lengths that he would give his only son to die for us so that we never have to be sorrowful alone. You know, part of that struggle in that time period of just being a new parent and launching a new ministry and just struggling through some of those things, part of what I was feeling is like I felt like even my brothers and sisters, the only time I would ever hear from anybody is when they just needed something from me. It was an extremely lonely place. And that I felt so much guilt from feeling that way that I had a hard time talking to God with exactly how I was feeling in my ministry. I struggled with it because I felt like I was failing Him. Connect groups aren't going the way that they're, they're supposed to. I don't have the time to do the things in student ministry that, that I feel like need to happen. And things just aren't going well. And I'm tired and I'm exhausted. And so I was like, I can't let God know that. And I, again, I know it's an elementary thing. To, so it's like He already knows it. He already knows because Jesus fell down on his knees in the garden and he saw the sorrow that we were going to face. And he said, God, if it's your will, I'll take it. We never have to be sorrowful alone. Guilt and shame have no place in the life of a believer because we are showered with grace upon grace. I have this this extreme blessing to be married to the most incredible woman on the face of the planet and in the midst in the midst of those darkest times she didn't want me away she wanted more of me and i felt guilty because i wasn't the husband i was supposed to be we were both exhausted we were just surviving at that time it was just having twins like if anybody has had twins just or is going to have twins or has friends that has twins, make sure you always tell them to feed them at the same time. If you don't, you just feed them for three straight years and you just trade off and you never sleep, ever. And like we were experiencing that. We were just trying to survive. But God gifted us with a Savior that bore our sorrow. We have a ministry called Reengage, and I'm thankful that we had healthy friends and we had healthy um, relationships that we can even share what we were going through in that time. 
But I'm telling you, part of of being in a relationship with somebody else that you love more than anything is being able to have the tools and resources to be able to be fully transparent with your spouse. And Reengage does that. I know Kevin and and Sarah run Reengage. You can sign up for it now because it starts on August 17th. So go see them after service. Because you don't have to be sorrowful alone. The last thing that I want to touch on before we give, give our response is as we've learned that we don't have to be sorrowful alone and as we've looked at the importance of having others that we're being transparent with and the importance of having a God that we can tell everything to because he already knows, something else stood out. In verse 40, it says, He came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see Jesus' response. He says, You couldn't stay awake with me one hour. I'm in my deepest, darkest moments. And if it was me, and I came up to my best friend, and they let me down, my tendency is to say, Okay, I'm not going to call back. I'm not going to text them back. Get away from me. You've let me down, and so I'm going to push you away. And what does Jesus do? Peter, you couldn't stay up. Let's, let's try again. Let's try again, Peter. Let's stay up with me this time. And he comes back, and he lets him down, and he lets him down. See, if we're going to be truly transparent with those around us, we have to understand that sometimes we're going to let one another down. I've been hurt, and I've hurt others. We've all been there. But the joy of Christ and this grace upon grace that he showers over us is that we never have to be sorrowful alone. And that when people let us down, God never will. We never have to be sorrowful alone. And we learn to forgive. See, there's so much in this text, in this garden, of Jesus falling on, on his face and he's praying, God, please just take this cup from me, that he's experiencing the sorrow that, that is intended for his people because of our sin and our weakness. But we learn to be transparent with our, our, our closest brothers and sisters in Christ. We learn to be transparent with our, our spouses, our friends. We learn to be transparent with a God that loves us more than anything. And we don't have to hide because guilt and shame has no place and we never, ever have to be sorrowful alone. So guys, again, I I share a few of those stories because my prayer is that God can redeem them. And so again, whatever struggle that you might be having, whatever sorrow that you're going through right now, you don't have to walk it alone. And so on the screen, there's a response that you can text response if you're at home. I pray that you will respond. The, the God's word demands a response. I pray that you, you've learned as much as I've learned in preparing the sermon this week. And so as we respond, as we get ready uh, to leave this place, I hope you know you never have to be sorrowful alone. And so as we get ready to close, there's going to be people in the Next Step Center waiting for you to pray with you. If you need to come find me, I'm going to be up here. Come to me. I would love to pray with you so that you don't have to be sorrowful alone. Let's pray. Lord, I I come before you today. I thank you so much. The opportunity we get 
to be together with our brothers and sisters, Lord, and, and even to the point of exhaustion, to the point of sorrow, to the point of despair, that you are bigger than all of it. Our darkest nights, you're bigger than. Our deepest regrets, you're bigger than. Every guilt, every shame that we feel, you're bigger than. And Lord, thank you that we don't have to be sorrowful alone. In Jesus' name, amen.